You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the show. It is Thursday, the 27th of October, and it is Thursday, the 27th of October, even though I'm now in Australia, safely ensconced in Melbourne, uh, Flemington Racecourse for the Victoria Racing Club, the Melbourne Cup on Tuesday, the Victoria Derby on Saturday, and I'm afraid I've brought the English weather with me as well. It is uh, wet and grey here in Melbourne, but that is not going to stop this city enjoying the first what you'd call big show proper cup since the pandemic since 2019 the place will be absolutely rocking on tuesday a cup regular i'm a debutant cup regular lee motter said is with me i'm at flemington lee is actually uh, a few miles away at werribee Racecourse, where the international challengers are quarantined and have been working this morning uh, lee what news for us so the news uh, so far from here, Nick, is no news from Werribee as such, but big news on the Melbourne Cup running that we've lost Durston, the Caulfield Cup winner trained by Chris Wallace for Highcliffe Thoroughbred Racing. He was the big local um, hope for the Cup on, on the betting. If you look at the betting at the moment, the top three horses are the three Europeans. So Durston was the the chief local hope, but he has failed the... The, the final scan, um, the latest scan for for him, of course, everyone knows that the veterinary protocols have been greatly heightened here in recent years, actually slightly eased compared to last year. Um, but still, Durston has failed that one, um, a slight lesion, a slight grey area on the scan that means the race of Victoria aren't prepared to let him uh, run the race. Chris, one of the trainers, completely supported that in a statement this morning, but it heightens the extent to which anyone with a horse in the Melbourne Cup will have sweaty palms at the moment. We all know what it's like going into a, a Grand National or a Derby, Nick. You look at the betting a week before the race and you pretty much expect that you're going to lose one or two of those just before the contest. Well, over here, as I say, it's heightened, it's accentuated because of the scans the horses have to go through. Now, the international horses had their scans on Tuesday, we're not expecting their results to come through until tomorrow. They might come through today, but more likely tomorrow. And until they do come through, until those final scan results are in, you can't know for sure that Dover Legend, without a fight, and Loft will be representing Europe in the Lexus Melbourne Cup. You have to be hopeful. They've decanted around the track here this morning at Werribee, about half an hour outside of Melbourne. No rain here, actually, Nick, at the moment as well. They've cantered around here today. All look fine. wasn't heavy work, but they were grand. Um, but until, as I say, those scams come through, you can't go into a green light situation. Okay, which of the horses is getting the most attention of the of the Europeans? Well, actually, I'd, I'd name two of them, Nick. Um, without fight, without fight, he's doing his job grand. He's, he's, he's taking along Ed Christopher this morning. Um, he was talking about the ground maybe not being ideal, but Loft had a workout at Flemington on Tuesday at a breakfast um, a breakfast event on Tuesday, and he was very impressive on the James McDonald. James McDonald was was purring about him afterwards, and quite interesting. Loft almost has a a bigger reputation over here than he does in Europe. You know, I think we all, all know as European racing fans, Loft isn't really a big name. He's been running his races in Germany until he won the um, the uh, the Belmont Gold Cup 
Um, but he hasn't got a, a huge reputation in Europe. He's got a bigger one here and an even bigger one since that Flemington workout on Tuesday. But Deauville legend, I think, is the one that people here expect to win the Melbourne Cup. He produced a piece of work last week um, when he quickened past Kimura, the the, the Hayes Lindsay Park horse who has joined them from Joe Lyons. And that really impressed the people who come out here every day to Arby to watch the internationals work. I think there's a real head of head of steam around Dover Legend. I think they look at cross counter, uh, the Charlie Appleby train winner of the the Melbourne Cup and they see a very, very similar horse. He has to carry more weight because the Northern Hemisphere three-year-olds have a greater burden placed on them now by the handicap than was the case there. But Cross Counter won a stronger Melbourne Cup than Dover Legend will be taking on on Tuesday. So I think Dover Legend is the favourite now and I, I would expect him to become an ever stronger favourite and particularly now because as I say the Aussies have lost their, their main hope in Durston. So Durston doesn't run for high clear the three europeans at this stage still in dovia legend for james ferguson loft for arc winning trainer marcel weiss and of course without a fight for the chrisfords who've been in such good form of late uh, lee will be back with me to give you his idea of a melbourne cup winner uh, and perhaps a victoria derby winner who knows later in the show uh, i'll also be catching up with American connections with the release of the Breeders' Cup pre-entries yesterday. I'll be talking to trainer Wesley Ward. He gives a bulletin on Golden Pal. I'll also be talking to the owner of Olympiad, Jamie Roth. Uh, Plus, I'll be talking to British jumps trainer Joe Tizard about his claims uh, of winning the Charlie Hall chase against the big guns on Saturday. That's coming up very shortly after you've heard all the domestic news. Here's Tom Stanley. Yes, Lydia Hislop with me. UK-based we are, and... um... We're going to talk about some Irish comments from from Willie Mullins, who's um, expressed his desire for shorter gaps, Lydia, between races, not necessarily at the big festivals, but but certainly at the majority of, of meetings. What do you think about this? 35 minutes too long? That's what he says, isn't it? Um, and I think, I mean, I think this, this has become increasingly the case with Irish racing as increasingly British and Irish racing works together so as not to have racing's races overlapping with each other and so sometimes that has meant a lengthening of gaps between races in Ireland where they pre- did not previously exist um for only from 30 to 35 minutes I, I I'm pretty sure um I, I mean I, I know you you agree with him um I disagree with him um I think you know logistically in terms of income to both Britain and Ireland it is undoubtedly better for both sports that are um, existing races do not overlap with each other and hence you have to spread them out within the daylight hours of the day in order for that not to happen now uh, frequently it doesn't work but that's the that's the the main idea and, and you can argue that the underlying problem is that there is too many racing too much racing in Britain rather than Ireland which is causing the knock-on effect but if we think about the income that uh, British and Irish racing derived during the pandemic when there was no other income from, you know, streaming and online betting. And that was a lifeline for racecourses on both sides of the Irish Sea and for the sport on both sides of the Irish Sea. So the importance of arranging your races to maximise your income for the sport is pretty uh, of pretty paramount concern, particularly um, uh, in times of financial hardship. Obviously, then that has an impact on people on course, and I appreciate that. That's the sort of classic tension between um, people going racing and people um, consuming the product either via television or um, via via betting. Um, 
uh, well, when they're not actually present. Um, but again, I feel like that is da it's down to the race courses to make the experience as good as possible. And if you're a genuine racing fan and you want to practice the full ritual, i.e. go to the paddock, watch them move to post, go and have a bet, watch the race, go to the winners enclosure to um, celebrate them coming in and then repeat, then, you know, you need all of that time to be able to do that, particularly if you want to factor in factors such as, you know, going to the loo, um, going to the bar, having some, having some food and making it a sort of nice day out and I do wonder whether there's um an element of you know how how the other half live I mean the you know and I would include me in 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 the other half you know if you're a member of the the general public you'll be queuing for the loo you'll be queuing for the bar you'll be queuing for your food uh and it, those things do do take time um I, I, I do think that just shortening the time between races suggests that racing the people going racing find racing boring and I I, I just don't, you know, there's more to going racing than just the the race itself, as as we all know. But I know that you agree with Willie, though, don't you? Uh, so I agree on, so, so take the main festivals out of this. Take take the, I'd probably take the main Saturday racing out of this as well. But largely because of the point you made that if you are only having 30 minute gaps for all of your Saturday fare between Britain and Ireland, you're going to get an even more crammed schedule. And let's face it, we focused yesterday on, on on how to avoid race clashes. So that would be contradictory to the argument we were making yesterday. But for the, for the, for the smaller meetings, I think that the aim, if you aim for 30 minute gaps, you're doing something right because purely from a race day experience point of view, I think there can be too much space in between races. We tried it for the um, Skybet Sunday series. Now that they even tried 25 minute gaps last year which fundamentally didn't work. But I thought it was I thought it was good to try it, good to experience it. But the, the trouble you had, depending on the track you were at, was that if trainers have multiple horses in, in races, even saddling them was tricky. But it was proved this year that 30 was, was very doable. And I thought it worked on the Sunday because there were fewer meetings. And so, you know, we by and large, we didn't have any clash issues either. So... I thought that worked 30 minute gaps, even with multiple runners on, on those days. Okay. But I take, I definitely take the point that away from the race course, it's perhaps not going to help with income streams. Um, so that has to be taken into, into consideration. And on the, on the bigger days, on the busier days, it's not going to help with race clashes, but, but his point being for, for race day experience on the smaller days, I'm with him on that. I was at Nottingham yesterday and I felt that the, it, for the experience of being on the track, they could have done with 30 minute gaps and they had 35 minute gaps. I, I'm sure logistically there, were, there was a, a good reason for that. Uh, probably the abandonment of Taunton um, might have meant that that could have been revised nearer, nearer the time, perhaps. But anyway, I did feel that 35 minute gaps at Nottingham could easily have become 30. However, the flip side to that coin, you go to some courses where that try to do 30, have got 30, you know, down as their race times and cannot do it. Uh, whether that is logistically about the distances from the, the, the paddock to the start for certain races, that, you know, there are certain race courses that just the physical amount of time that it takes to get from A to B to be able to run each race, you, you need 35, even 40 minute gaps in, in, in some race courses. Mm. Well, just, this is, this is something that new market and i don't mean to single them out but we, we know that they they do struggle with it and, and 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 part of that is because you know the further the race is the on the rolly mile certainly there's only one way down there of course there's only one way back so, so i think that they can they can struggle a bit with that and, and i agree 
uh, sort of almost field size can become irrelevant if if you're trying to get 30 minute gaps into into a meeting there particularly on a on a, a busy day's racing with with lots of tracks i'm not sure how that's going to work but the, the other thing is i'm you know sad to say that I, I guess i don't really go racing as a sort of the way i used to as a as a punter going parade pre-parade ring parade ring race pre-parade ring parade ring race uh, i haven't you know done that many times in the last five ten years sadly because uh you know I tend to be working when i'm there and, and everything else gets in the way so mm. I, i'm you know on that I, I i suppose from a working point of view like you at nottingham yesterday you're standing there thinking well 35 minute gap feels a bit long that's how it feels to me anyway but maybe that's because the the regular race day experience isn't something i do as regularly as i used to well, I mean, I, I try to do it as often as I can because, you know, you, you sort of try and keep in touch with what customers are feeling about the sport that you work in. I think, you know, that that, that is important. I must say that going racing, I've never, ever thought that the gap between race A and race B is too long. I've only ever felt that it's too short uh, I, and, and felt rushed when I'm on a race course enjoying myself because I have all of those things to do. I want to practice the full ritual. I want to spend some time talk time time talking with my friends and, and in, enjoying the day and reflecting on the previous race and all of those those kind of things that goes with properly immersing yourself in a day's racing. And I've never felt that that time is too long. Um, like you take somewhere like Sandown, they try to go for 30 minute gaps and that results in horses not being saddled in time, not coming into the paddock in time. You know, the the, the viewers, uh, the race course, uh, people attending the race course are getting, get slightly shortchanged. And you mentioned Newmarket. I mean, we often joke that Newmarket operates in Newmarket time. There's another element to all of this and which is that particularly in Britain, I think, the timings that that races go off are not taken seriously enough by anyone, um, by uh, the trainers. And I appreciate that they might be overstretched sometimes in, in staff wise. But, you know, it is important the time a race goes off to maximise the income and not overlap onto other races. Stewards, you know, making sure that, uh, that horses are where they should be at the right time so that public is not shortchanged and they get to see their horses properly and the, the races are off on time. And the race courses themselves, you know, by being realistic about what gaps they can actually do between races and uh, not not overstretching themselves and making sure that they facilitate those involved the participants to be able to get races off on time they can do it in somewhere like australia where as i understand it i think there are fines if your your race doesn't go, doesn't go off on time i don't think it's an issue that's taken seriously enough in britain yeah and that was a, a bit of feedback we got yesterday on on the podcast as well so thanks for everyone that did feedback on that but but by and large the acceptance from punters out there is that Ireland is much better at getting races off on time, and that's something we experience day in day out than than um, than the UK is. All right, let's let's park that there. I, I wondered, Lydia, if, if we could have a, a sort of where are we with the white paper update now that um, well we've, we've got a new prime minister. <laughs> yes, indeed, uh, a, a a new prime minister with a continuity cabinet. Hurrah! Um, so the Secretary of State, uh, Michelle Donnellan, has been reappointed, um, but we don't yet know whether the junior minister in this area in DCMS, uh, Damien Collins, is going to be keeping his job. If he does keep his job, given that Michelle Donnellan has also keep, kept her job, and with the impetus um, just before the upheaval we had via the um, Trust Administration was to try and get this white paper out as quickly as possible, you would think that uh, there's no reason why this shouldn't be quite um, this shouldn't be quite a sped up process because it was on the point of being published anytime now, anytime now. And if the same characters, uh, 
um, remain in place, Michelle Donnellan and Damien Collins, then you would think that they could pick up where they left off and it could be coming out soon. But I think it's just waiting on what happens about whether Damien Collins is reappointed. Okay. Plenty more that um, Lydia and I will discuss. Uh, for now, let's go back down under. Well, yesterday the uh, entries, initial entries, were released for the uh, Coral Gold Cup, formerly the Ladbrokes Gold Cup, before that the Hennessy Gold Cup. Coral's taken over sponsorship this year. We'll talk about that in a few moments' time uh, with Joe Tizard. But more immediately, Joe, with the stable going really well, you must be very excited about this weekend where up at Weatherby in the Charlie Hall, you're running El Dorado Allen, who ran so well in all the big chases last year, against, against two really good horses in Brave Man's Game and Ahoy Senor. How are you feeling about it? Well, this is the Charlie Hall has been the target for him since the back of, back of last year. To be honest, um, you know he, he he progressed. He won the Holden Gold Cup. He he won. He ended up winning them, and he got better as we stepped him up in trip. And we just thought this was like a lovely early season target for him. Obviously, we're taking on two two second season novices that are that are pretty exciting with Brave Man's Gay and a Hoy Senor, but. Um, He's in good nick. The horses are running well as well. Are you confident now that you can give him a campaign at three miles plus, given what he did at the back end of last year? Yeah, not not necessarily three mile plus, but um, but but certainly, um, you know, he needs to step up again to become a, a King George or a Gold Cup horse. But um, you know, we're confident that after his demo performance beating Royal Bacow and um, Candazobo, we're confident that he can. He can he can hack it on a flat three miles similar to um, to Weatherby. So this will determine whether we have a good crack at a King George or we go Peterborough Chase and drop back. Um, this will answer a few more questions. And obviously, there's going to be no hiding place. I mean, both the favourites are free going, front running type types of horse. You're going to need to be every bit as fit as you as you should be. Uh, is he is he going to be bang straight enough to to give it a hundred percent? I think so. Um, um, you know, the horses that we've run, the winter horses, which has been delayed a couple of weeks because the ground of it, it run really well, and you know he hasn't missed a beat. So, um, you know, I, I, I we'll, we'll take them on. You know, it's, I, we're not going to lie down and and accept it. You know, we'll we'll use our experience and um, and ride in positively, like we did in the Denman. And um, you know, if we get beat that way, we get beaten by a better horse. Now, you've got three fascinating entries in the big Newbury handicap, which is now called the Coral Gold Cup at their feature November meeting. One of them is last year's runner-up, a very narrow runner-up fiddler on the roof. And the others are Lost in Translation, who's got some fabulous form to his name back in the book, and Oscar's Elite, who's a younger horse and might just have the right profile for the race. What's the plan with them at the moment, Joe? Well, so, so lost in translation, he is going to run the Sefton Aintree um, on the fifth. You know, he he, he jumped the, the national fences seriously well. Um, although he's a veteran now and he's ten years old, he can go in those. But he jumped the the national fences, just didn't get the trip in in our opinion. Um, so so we're going to have a have a crack with that. Um, you know, if he runs well and he gets beat, then he's one fifties. I think he's still competitive off that. Um, but the but but the main two are, are Fiddler on the roof and Oscar's Elite. To be honest, for the Coral Gold Cup, um, you know, Fiddler was second in it, being half a length off a of one fifty last year, um, and you know that's that's sort of the that's been the plan uh, to run him run him there first part of the season and and have another crack at the Grand National. And Oscar's Elite was third in an Ultima, he was second in Albert Bartlett. 
um, actually had a trapped epiglottis um, after entry last year, so we managed. We we we've had a little wind operation that solved that. So um, you know, he's a second season chaser who I, I don't think is totally exposed. You know, he's got some great form at mm. time. Um, he's going to run in the, in the Great Yorkshire Hurdle as a prep run, which what we did with Nature River, um, and and then and then go to the Carl Cup. That sounds an interesting one. Obviously, it's your first full season with your name solely on the license. Has anything changed much? No, not not particularly. You know, I I, I take the brunt of everything. Basically, <laughs> the old man is um, the old man is 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 up there for. If I need him, he's there, and if I don't need him, he gives his opinion anyway every morning. So it's um, um, but but he but you know he 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 dealt with it for years. He he put me in the position I'm in now, but he. But there's a lot that goes on with staff in um, in the press and, and and owners. He doesn't want the, the the non-stop phone calls and that. So he's he's now he's loving life. He's very much part of it. Um, he's, he's loving every second of what's what's going on without without the the full time things that come with being a trainer. Without having to take phone calls like this, Joe. I'm very grateful. Thanks so much, and all the best to him. Cheers, Nick. Good man. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Right, uh, Lydia, yesterday uh, we we saw a really unfortunate incident. Um, Neil Callan, who'd already been in the Widders' enclosure, then uh, unfortunately rode a, a finish too early. Um, I mean, he was quite candid on on social media afterwards, who, who's, who, you know, he linked to a video of it and said, well, this was embarrassing. Um, ultimately, well, it was, and he's got a 12-day ban. Yes, um, and the way that Neil managed it, I think, was exemplary really um just holding his hands up straight away and and apologizing for it he said it's something I never thought I would do but you know mistakes happened you know you you and I both know everybody listening knows that we're all human and that we will you know make mistakes sometimes this is a palpable mistake really you can see in the first circuit of this two-mile race that the horse is ridden into the lead two furlong out Mark Johnson is doing the commentary at Kempton and he's sort of clearly confused Uh, crossing the line um Neil Callan is easing his horse down and looking round and then you can see that the realization slowly creeping in to his mind as the other jockeys carry on for the final circuit and he continues sort of jogging around afterwards and but obviously his horse's um uh, effort is spent and he weakens through the field and ends up tailed off and and eased he's got 12 days for it um and you know obviously it, it, it he is banged to rights but it's it is an unfortunate incident uh, as i say i think he's managed it very well and is that a, is that a, a standard 12 days you wrote a finish too soon um punishment Absolutely. So if it's your first offence, um, the range is between 10 to 14 days and the entry point is 12 days. And uh, that's rule F37 2.2, mistaking the race distance and either riding a finish a circuit too early or failing to ride a finish. Um, so they've gone straight down the middle. They've gone straight for the entry point of, of 12 days for Neil Callan. OK, a more USA update now. Here's Nick. Well, Tom, thank you very much. As I said at the beginning of the programme, the Breeders' Cup pre-entries were released yesterday for all 14 Breeders' Cup races, but all the focus really on the Breeders' Cup Classic, the $6 million Breeders' Cup Classic, which will round off proceedings. And I can't remember a more eagerly anticipated edition of the, of this race. It, it's so deep and there is one clear standout superstar as things stand at the moment, but so many talented horses in this race, it would be a great race without Flight Line. 
Olympiad is one such horse. He's had a, a wonderful season, improving hand over fist, comes into the race in good form, got good notices from his trainer, Bill Mott, last time. And he's owned and runs in the colours of Ellen J. Foxwoods, who's Jamie Roth joins me now uh, Jamie how proud have you been of Olympiad this this season what an improvement I mean so proud of him he shows up every race um I think he's definitely broken one track record maybe two he's always uh giving his best effort and yeah like you said any other year um if flight line wasn't in this race he'd, he'd probably be uh a, a clo- I'd say close to a favorite so uh, very proud of him He's had a great year, no matter what happens. But I, I was very struck after his his last win. How oh, bullish is the wrong word, but how much faith and confidence your trainer had in this horse's ability to 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 do something a little bit special on Breeders' Cup Classic Day to at least be able to lay it down to a horse like Flightline. Do you share that view? Yeah, I, he's shown up every race. The Jockey Club Gold Cup was a perfect example. Uh, he came back in four weeks, ran. Oh, the classic distance, and he, yeah, he has every reason to be in this race. We all know what we're up against. Uh, yeah. He's flight lines a beast, but got to run the race. And uh, Olympiad, uh, there, you know, Bill Mott knows what he's doing. He's a Hall of Fame trainer, and there was never a thought of you know, not running him in the classic. So uh, proud of him, and we'll we'll see what happens. Is there a sense that it is? It is enjoyable to be a part of this race, even if you think you're on the on the back foot. Is there is there fun in the taking part as much as there is in the potential to, to win it? It's so ironic that you say that. I was just having a conversation with uh, someone on the LNJ team, and we were talking about how important it is to have fun next weekend, or yeah, next weekend, because it's such a such an honor to be at the Breeders' Cup, to be in the Classic. Sometimes uh, it's easy to uh, forget that, especially um, when you're going up against a horse like Flightline and you're and you're nervous and there's so much talk on Flightline and it's just nerves and nerves. But it's important to enjoy the weekend and you know, especially just side note for L and J. It's our eighth straight year having a horse in the Breeders' Cup and that's really going to be a focus for us as well because I think that's a a huge achievement um, for a pretty small stable. So, yeah, you got to enjoy it. I mean, it's such an honor to be in the Breeders' Cup. Uh, we've had some wonderful times at the Breeders' Cup uh, as well, and we, we've talked about Kafefe and, and many others uh, over the over the last few years. Does does her victory remain something that that, that will will forever be a, a career highlight for you? Forever and ever and ever, and I, I watch her her race at least once a month. Um, I spend some time at my parents' house, so they have the Breeders' Cup Trophy and the Clips uh, Chapter 2 uh, Clips Awards she wa- she won and I, I can't stop staring at them. It's you know, a lot of owners don't achieve that in you know decades and they may never so for her to do it with all kind of the hype around her and expectations yeah, uh, it will forever be it's one of the best memories of my life really and It'll be exciting to see her offspring uh, get to the track and see what they can put together. Um, so, yeah, without doubt, just amazing moment. Well, we know that the Kentucky Air 
albeit at a different track, suits Olympiad extremely well. Um, we're looking forward to seeing you, Jamie. Thanks so much for talking to me. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you too. It will be a great weekend. Okay, Breeders' Cup pre-entries have just come out. As you'd expect, a um, barrel full of runners for Wesley Ward, seeking more victory in the Breeders' Cup, an event he's done so well in down the years. And one horse who's contributed to that tally is Golden Pal. It's the big um, Anglo-American clash between Highfield Princess and Golden Pal. Golden Pal in his own backyard, Wesley. Do you think he stepped forward from that run at Keeneland a couple of weeks ago? What he, He's going to do what he has to do to win. He's just an amazing horse, and he came out of that win, you know, great awesome you know he had a hundred and six seven buyer and his numbers are off the charts so you know we can just sort of maintain where he's at which we hope he move forward i mean he'll be awful tough to beat i haven't had to train him very hard he's very sound right now um you know every day he goes to the track he's just like dynamite he's ready to explode so we got one work coming up tomorrow on the grass uh, I'm sorry, on, on Friday on the grass, and uh, we're ready to go. You, you've obviously taken a good look at Highfield Princess. She's won her last three in in Europe. How formidable an opponent do you think she is for Golden Pal? We certainly have to respect her form, her current form anyways. And, you know, she's, you know, they're they're betting on her. So, you know, everyone in Europe thinks she's going she's gonna to run good. And I'm glad that I am taking her on here at my home track and going over there and taking her on at one of hers. So I, you know, I think I, I have just a little bit of a home field advantage here with uh, with being right here. At uh, all I got to do is lead my guy from his stall to the to the paddock, and she's got to come a long ways. And I know how that is and how tough it is to do that. So you know, anytime in racing you can get an advantage, you got to take it. So you know, we're very fortunate that the Breeders' Cup this year on this final race will be here at Keeneland. Uh, would you prefer it if it was a, a dead flat five rather than five and a half furlongs? You know, no, not really for this horse. He kind of runs the turns very, very well. Um, I've sort of the only thing that's kind of let me down on him is we've had some bad luck going over to Europe, you know, in the Nunthorpe last year. For whatever reason, I couldn't find one. He just didn't run. Um, you know, I was all excited to have my, my main man, Frankie DeTore, on, and the horse shipped in so fantastic. And endoscopically after the race and physically you know going over him couldn't find anything for him to run the way he did but he did and that's racing and uh, going over this year it was just a one of those things where we walked the course with irad with steve Cawthon and had everything down to plan you know as far as steve giving some insights into into ask at race course and you know about this particular horse and the race that steve knows so well about and you know, unfortunately, when they were getting ready to spring the gate, there was one horse that was unruly behind it. And Irad was just looking straight back at the horse that they scratched and him not knowing that, it, as it does not happen in America, where if they take a horse out, they have to get a horse off the track, opposed to over in Europe, where they just leave the horse there and they kick the gate. And so Irad almost fell off the horse. He was looking completely gate back when they when they sprung the latch, and we came away, you know, last by many, and he, and that was it. So I was just that's one thing with this particular horse that I haven't got accomplished is winning over at Ascot or you know a straight five. Let me ask you about the others you run in the race. Campanelli has won multiple Group Ones for you, and she'll be ridden by Frankie Dottori. Arrest Me Red's got good form. You can forgive the Kentucky Downs run, no problem. Um, is Golden Pal a much better horse than those two? 
you know, he's just, all the three of them are ready to run great races. And I couldn't t say one, you know, isn't quite doing this or that. They're all really doing very, very well. It's just when you line them up in the gate, this guy's going to be six to five, seven to five in the race. And the other twos will be, the other two will be five, six, seven, eight to one. So going in, he's supposed to be the fastest horse, but it is horse racing. All of them are doing well. If any one of the three of mine win, I'll be excited. Wesley, you've got several other chances dotted around the, the two days. Love Range looks to have a chance in a loaded juvenile turf sprint. That really is a, a hell of a race. First time it's a, a grade one. You've got the, the horse who won the test at Saratoga in a bit of a shock there at Chai Town. She goes in the in the Philly and Mare sprint. You've got um, Kamari, who we know plenty about running in the sprint. Wh which horse do you think could, could really run a bold race? Who do you have strong feelings for at the moment? I'll tell you, you know, I'd, I'd say Kamari's, this is her home track. Um, if we get a little weather on the day, she kind of moves up a little bit as well on the on the wet track. And it's, we got a little bit of a rain forecast, you know, uh, for Saturday. You know, I don't know, that can always change. But she's just really come to form right now. And her numbers, figure-wise, are as good as Jackie's War or anybody going into this race. So I'm I'm really, really excited about Kamari. And you think she's as effective on the main track as she is on the on the turf? I'd say she's a little better on the main track, Kamari. All right, she might be a bit of a price as well. Wesley, thanks so much for your time. Um, all the best. All right, thanks. Well, if you've been following our sales coverage during the course of the last few weeks, you'll know that, broadly speaking, most but not all, more of which in a moment, yearling sales are, are done. And then we're transitioning into horses in training. You've heard an awful lot about that this week and next. And then we'll be looking at breeding stock. Goffs have got a very busy period coming up. Their group chief executive, uh, Henry Beebe, is with me now. Uh, Henry, where do we start? Well, we start next week. We've got a three-day sale next week, the Autumn Horses in Training and Yearling Sale at Kildare Paddocks. We've got a day of about 150-plus horses in training. It's where uh, Twilight Payment, the Melbourne Cup winner, was sold before he went on to, to Australian glory. We then have two days of really strong uh, commercial yearlings in our Autumn Yearling Sale, uh, which is a very strong sale. And it's a sale where the likes of uh, Laws of Indices, Quick Susie, Prince of Pilo were sold. It's a sale that punches above its weight. Then we have about... And, uh, to recover and to turn the sales complex around and we move on to our, our very important member foal and breeding stock sale. We have four days of the cream of the Irish foal crop. This is the sale where the likes of Gareth made a million one a few years ago. It regularly sells the highest priced uh, foal in Europe and often often in the world and that's followed by two days of really good breeding stock where the dams of Group 1 winners regularly get sold, the likes of uh, of uh, Blackbeard and uh, big uh, and several other very, very good ones in there as well. And then we have a short rest uh, rest if you like uh, before we move on to four days uh, in December of our December Nashon sale, dominated by some beautiful, beautiful Nashon foals and a small but quality selection of Nashon mares as well. So it's a very busy time for everybody at the at the sales complex. In terms of the the foal sale in particular, this is a it's a very very big a big part of your of your calendar, isn't it? Absolutely, the foal sale and the Orby yearling sale would be the two most important sales in terms of uh, a profile, international interest, and uh, ring turnover. It's a it's a very important four days. Uh, the Wednesday is the highlight where the best pedigrees 
are presented and we've regularly sold the highest price uh, full in Europe and often the world uh, at this sale. And as I mentioned earlier, gas being sold. Though. We've had Dubawis making a million two, Frankel Falls making a million eight, See the Stars Falls making 850, etc. So it's a very important time for Irish breeders. Of course, the majority of, of pinhookers who pinhook to buy Falls to go out of the yielding sales are Irish-based, so it's a domestic sale for them. But a lot of end users, such as Sheikh Mohammed's representatives, uh, come along and buy there. So it's an exciting few days, and we're really, really looking forward to it. We've been very well supported by Irish breeders, as we've always said. We're nothing without the horses, but Irish breeders flock to this sale and send their best to us. And do you find that a good yearling sale therefore means a good foal sale? Because people's um, not pockets are full, but if you like, pinhookers might have had a good result, they come back and buy more. Is it as simple as that? Does the trickle-down effect work? The trickle-down effect works, and it probably is as simple as that, to be honest. I mean, the people who are buying the foals every year are regular traders. It's their, it's their business. They breed some, and they pinhook some. So if they've done well at the eating sales, they're normally encouraged to come back and invest. Of course, they have to have the right horses. They have to have the quality. And happily for us, you know, Irish breeders have sent us a, a mouth-watering selection of foals. And so all the pinhookers from Britain, uh, from Britain, Ireland, and further afield, we're going to get some American interest as well. People across Europe will be there to buy the, the, the foals at Goffs. Yeah, back with Lydia Hislop in the UK. Uh, just a tip, please, uh, Lydia. I'm going to Lingfield for one of their two listed races today, the River Eden, and I am siding with Pearl Beach for William Knight and Redemption for Neil Callan. Um, this horse has got a great record on the all-weather, shaped as though this kind of trip was well within her compass at Yarmouth last time when coming back to form. She's been placed at Group 3 level already. She's well up to listed level, and I think she can bring um, good form and experience to play over horses that are shorter than her in the market or as short in the market. Um, and are um, more priced upon um, hope and pedigree. Great stuff, Lydia. Thank you very much indeed. Let's return one last time to Mr Nick Luck. Thanks to Tom and to Lydia and uh, to all my guests today. Uh, I'm still at Flemington. Lee Mottishead is still at Werribee and I'm hoping is going to give you some, some of the best Australian advice. Well, we'll try, Nick. My, my British advice generally isn't that great, so let's hope I'm better in Australia. Um, we're looking ahead to a superb card at Flemington on Saturday, Nick. It's your first Derby Day here. You're going to absolutely love it. It's actually not quite as intense a card as usual. They normally have four group ones. They've got three this year because they've moved on to the final Saturday. But the card is built around the Victoria Derby, uh, which looks a very deep race this year and William Buick has a chance of winning that on Pericles for Godolphin trained by by James Cummings. I, I recommend two uh, tips at this stage for Saturday. One a horse called Jackano in the Coolmore Stud Stakes which is Australia's version of the, the Commonwealth Cup, a much older version of the Commonwealth Cup as well. Um, he's a strong finishing type who uh, won a big race two starts ago finished off that race incredibly well I think he'll go uh, particularly strongly on the Flemington straight six. A straight six is very unusual in Australian racing, but I think he's made for it. And um, one is one in, in a race called the Archer Stakes. It used to be called the Hotham Handicap. It's the, it's the last chance saloon race for horses trying to get into the Melbourne Cup who aren't currently in the weights. If you're entered in the Cup and not in the top 24 and you win this race, you're dropped into it. 
Uh, one horse who listeners will know very well who's in that position is Serpentine, the 2020 Derby winner at Epsom. He now races in Australia as a gelding, and so far he has raced with no distinction whatsoever. Was disappointed at Mooney Valley on Saturday. He's in the Archer Stakes. The way he ran on Saturday, would be very hard to tip. There's a horse called Chapada, um, who has been knocking around these big Australian Cup races for a long time. I backed him last year for the, the Melbourne Cup antipose. He didn't actually make the race because of a, an injury. He, again, is one of those just outside the top 24. He was slightly disappointing in the Caulfield Cup last time, but blinkers are being applied for the first time on Saturday, and I'm tipping Chapada to win the Archer Stakes and Giacono in the Coolmore Stakes and still hoping that Dover Legend will win the Cup for England. You and me both. Lee, for the moment, thank you very much. We'll catch up again after the weekend. Enjoy your weekend. I will be back again tomorrow with all the latest, um, including all the British connections out here uh, and European connections for the Lexus Melbourne Cup on Tuesday. But from all of us, it is bye-bye for now, wherever you are. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.